Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, self-care and trauma. The importance of a strong family. And keep pushing play. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. Well, here we are, Andrew. Part three of this uh, crucial conversation we've been having. What can people expect in this last part? Yeah, so we really focus on the prevention piece, which is ultimately the reason that Tanya wanted to sit down and, and give her all to this conversation. For sure. Um, and, and also we, we discuss self-care for Tanya. It's her perspective, but what, what everyone in this family that suffered greatly um, had to do to, to really survive and to cope. Yeah, I mean, this, this is really an episode about resilience training. Um, you know, we talk about that almost every episode about the importance of resilience and learning to bounce back from life's life's hurdles and obstacles. This is, was a monumental hurdle and obstacle mm-hmm. that, by the way, everybody was aware of, which was yeah. another piece to this whole story. Um, imagine going through your worst trauma while everyone's watching and that's what the Kilmers had to do. And and for, for them two years later to be able to come and, and revisit this story for the sole purpose of preventing this from happening to one of you, perhaps, or someone you love, um, takes has taken a, a huge amount of compassion and love for everybody, and a huge amount of courage. And and I'm I'm in awe of that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we do get into Tanya's own experience of self care because she was very much concerned for finding Ben and, and taking care of her family. And I mean, it it was a long search and depleting to say the least yeah and and she points to her kids as being really the sole reason she was able to get through everything yeah she points to exercise and some other medical things that she went through that really helped her and some finding peace but her kids really kept her going in the end on those days when it was really tough maybe the dark night was there her kids kept her going and it just really goes back to the importance of, of family and how when everything falls apart Family is often the thing that, that, that we need the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to look after ourselves and understand that when we go through trauma, when, when we meet life's greatest challenges, it's devastating. And if we don't properly process that, we'll never actually get through it. And no. it'll, it'll always be there to bring us down. For sure. And, and speaking of processing, I mean, Tanya has processed this over the last couple of years and really processed it over these last three episodes. So we just want to thank her and, and the family again for, for allowing us to host this story. We thank all of you for tuning in and, and we encourage you to stick around for, for future stories. There's some, uh, there's some wonderful stories coming out um, this fall. And, and um, we just thank you for, for, um, for, for journeying along with us. Um, and, and hopefully that you've, you've taken something that's going to help you when, when life throws you a curve that you're not expecting. Yeah, man, we got to keep pushing play and keep pushing through those obstacles. Thanks, folks. The relationship that he developed with his father over the house, his father, who literally 70 years old, would show up every single day, blood, sweat, and tears. Didn't matter the weather, didn't matter the labor was there for his son through it all. And when Ben got to see the unconditional love that his parents brought into his life, his sister, I mean, him him and his sister have always been best friends, but I mean, that's something for the storybooks and not something that we have time enough to discuss here, but this is why I can't hate the house. Even though I feel like, yes, the house took my husband's life, 
stole my husband from me. And this is truthfully why I hate things. I have no investment in things. I think the most important thing in my entire household would be the pictures Mm -hmm. that are hanging on my wall. Because fortunately I have a million backups because pictures are the most important Mm -hmm. and video. And so I I had to come to peace, not only with the toxic group that had been started and, and also understand that they're coming from a place of holy crap which is where we were all coming from. Like, how could this happen? What happened to this man? There's so much mystery here and so many unsolved things. And then I can't speak out openly about what I know and how I feel like he's just out in the wilderness and he's a survivor. So he's going to survive and then he's going to come back. But not understanding what I do now, that Mm -hmm. in fact, he felt like this was his gift as the ultimate provider to leave this world, having no idea the nightmare that would be caused by him going missing. And forgetting, because his prefrontal cortex is not working at this point in a way that it needs to, or it's, it's functional now that he's calm at the river, but it's, it's coming from a depressed state of mind, which Kim Bartel, uh, who's a guru in occupational therapy and neuroscience, would argue that that is the most dangerous space to be in when you've operated in a, in a fight, flight, or freeze for so long. And then, you, and then now the prefrontal cortex comes back online where your rationalization, your thought process is going, your problem solving, but it's in a depressed state of mm-hmm. mind. People right. run the highest risk of taking their lives in that state of mind. And so really it was the perfect storm. And when I laid at the river and I felt that calm, it was like a light bulb went off. And I knew that Ben felt like this was his gift. Because you've heard us. people, you've heard people say that before. You know, the day before the, this person took their life, they seemed happy. Mm-hmm. They seemed better than before. They mm-hmm. seemed okay. Mm-hmm. And so that connects with what you just shared there. And those um, are the people we really have to worry yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And this leads yeah. us to prevention. Mm-hmm. And so I, I know that's one of the one of the reasons you wanted to come on today to I, talk about prevention. And uh, yeah, but before do, we just, do that, Andrew's going <laughs> to thank you. And he's going to say something really important. Well, I just, before, before we do that, and, and I agree, I, I do want to get to that. Um, but I wanted to uh, ask about your own methods of coping, because I, I think it's a, a really important part of the story. And, yeah. and you've done a lot of work and reflection to come to terms with things um, and to kind of be, be able to understand what was going on for Ben. But mm. Um, and, and this could potentially tie into the prevention piece because there's other people who are um, who have experienced trauma are in the process of understanding it themselves or, or maybe are going to unfortunately experience trauma. But what? How did you survive this? Like, how did you continue to keep things together for yourself um, and and be still? you know, play the role that you play now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were some of the things that you did and, and um, how did you begin to cope? Thank you for asking that because I've reflected on this a lot. A lot. Because really when you're in crisis, you just act automatically. And there's no guidebook for how to handle yourself Truthfully, Search and Rescue BC is working on a document right now, and I'm very proud to hopefully be a part of it. Um, You know, we need to connect, but you do, you operate on automatic. You know, part of you is like a deer in headlights. Part of you is just survival, and you're just literally, like there's no planning involved. You just have to go 
automatic. And for me, it was just, I need to find my husband and nothing is going to stop me. Nothing is going to get in my way. And I don't care what sort of terrain I have to navigate. I'm going to find him. And you never, I never could lose sight of that hope. And I never once did because Mm -hmm. I was convinced because of the man that Ben was that he was still out there, but he was just going to that deep, dark place of survival where he talked about going. He said to me like, you know, would you be okay if I went out into the wilderness for a month? And I said, well, yeah, but you just say you also need to be surrounded by friends and family right now. So it's, I just am concerned that you'd be out of reception and maybe if you need to reach me, you know, you're out there to your own devices by yourself. And we all know that when we're suffering, that's not a place to be. And so, yeah, automatic at first for a long time. And maybe denial. I mean, the something that Heather McLeod, who's one of our past guests, said mm. that denial... And, and she lost her partner to cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's what she, the story she told, she used um, the term that uh, denial is a, is a crutch that you use until uh, you find something else better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, that that's what you did, but that is something that, um, that many people have used. And, and I was just wondering if it might, might have been part of it for you, part of the coping mechanism. I, I really have to say no, because Ben went to that space of, I just need to get out there in the wilderness, that it wasn't denial. It was truthfully like, I know he's out there because that's where he went in that like deep, dark place. And because I know what unfolded in the course of our morning and the plans that we were making to go to Dave Matthews on Labor Day Long, like we used to before we had the kids and the plan to take the kids to Disneyland, no matter how much we lost on the sale of the house, which ended up being quite significant, there were plans. There was hope. We had the letter into BC Housing. We were going to get a response back. In fact, we did three weeks after Ben went missing that approved the sale of the house. Mm. Like when I say I operated automatically, like I have to pay our bills, manage Ben's business, deal with the banks, deal with this missing person. Like who knows how to deal with a missing person? And then I have to get a court order because I literally can't even pay a bill in Ben's name or for his business without having a court order. And it was just the most insane time of my life while coping myself, while helping my children cope and and coming home every day to say, mommy's finding daddy today Mm. you know keeping the hope alive for Mm. them as well putting a smile on my face even though I felt like breaking down and sobbing and ripping my hair out and screaming I had to compose it all and put a smile on my face and rub their heads at night and brush their hair and say their prayer and read them stories and you know listen to somewhere out there you know, from American Tale, yeah, I know the one yeah. that Ben is yeah. coming home. A mummy mm. is finding daddy today, and nothing could change in that. And so, I really, truly, honestly don't feel like it was denial. It was the fact that we knew Ben's character, we as his family, his friends, and I. And so, there was no probability that he would have taken his life. No, none at all. You know, this this isn't a surprise to me. One thing Andrew and I have learned through the process of, of hosting this podcast, we've done a lot of, obviously, a lot of interviews and reading on stress and, and things like that. And one thing, one thing we do know is that the, the human human being, the, the, our brain, is actually well-equipped to deal with catastrophic stress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What it can't deal with is chronic stress, mm. the chronic everyday grind of whatever's going on in our life. But when there's like a, 
a tra- traumatic thing, like for instance, your husband goes missing, you go into that mode and you got through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not overly surprising that you were able to do what you did. I mean, we see stories like this all the time, but it's that daily grind, perhaps mm-hmm. maybe the stress that Ben was carrying, for instance. Mm-hmm. That was That's the stress that becomes that toxic, mm-hmm. um, you know, takes over your life. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to do that. Now, you don't want to live in that place too long. But exactly. but, but definitely yeah. not. I'm not saying that that's a good thing. I'm just saying we uh, there's almost like a fail safe there for when that happens, that if we're able to, we can get through it. Mm-hmm. And so um, anyways, I just thought, you know, listeners might be thinking, how, how could you possibly make it through that without like losing your own mind or mm-hmm. or, fall- close. or falling <laughs> into just absolute despair and you have two kids and like how could you function that way Mm -hmm. in some ways we all have that ability and so Mm -hmm. i just wanted to say that for the listeners who may be going through something like that or have Mm -hmm. or or will go through something like that you do have what you do have it within to get through it Mm -hmm. i think that's an important message something that i mentioned uh, on the fine ben kilmer site was dr victor frankel's book a man's search for meaning beautiful book yeah incredible book yeah and Again, that's why I had no doubt in my mind that Ben was still out there because he had so much to live for. Right. And I'll go back to answer your question, Andrew, but I think this segues perfectly into a thought that I had the other day when his friend Jonathan sent me this 4x4 um, video of him and his son and his wife going somewhere on the Nitnat where we were maybe going to go and honor Ben at some point. And he just wanted to show me the route in. And the whole time I'm watching this video, I hear his son squealing with excitement. And just, Daddy! And just so excited over every bump and every turn. (laughs) And then they cross the river and he's squealing. And I turned it off and I don't know what came over me, but I just started to sob. Mm -hmm. And I thought, because almost every single one of Ben's closest friends now have had children. Mm. And again, his best man, Chris George, just recently had a beautiful baby girl. And I just think, what a tragedy. Mm. What a shame. Shameful tragedy that he's not here to enjoy that if he just could have and came so damn close. That's the thing. Like the man who's screaming out for help the last phone call to his counselor before radio silence. I mean, that's not a man who wants to kill himself. That's not a man who has any plan to take his life. Well, why the hell would he waste his time calling the counselor? Why the hell would he go to his in-person counselor the day before, cry, call the anxiety person, right? Like this man wants to live. But, you know, you would ask me when we went on that hike, like what could have brought Ben back from that place? Mm-hmm. If he had had his phone and he had had that prayer and those words that I wrote him about the man that he truly is. And I literally said, I quoted him because we had a phone call and he said, honey, we're going to show our kids this world together. And I repeated that back to him on the phone and he said, fucking rights we are. Mm. We're going to show our kids this world together. And then when I saw that video, it just was like a flood of emotion. And I just thought, oh, man. I know you're at peace and I I ask God to comatose you and this isn't exactly what I intended, but I have to rest in knowing that you are at peace Mm -hmm. in heaven and you will guard and guide our children and me for the rest of your life. And that is a gift. And I will continue living for you, for our children in such a powerful way. And I will live to make you proud 
you know, as well as obviously God, my father, but I will live to make you proud because I know you're here in my heart. I have no doubt, but I can't help but miss you. And I can't help but wish that you could actually be in the flesh with us to enjoy this with your buddies who now have these children. So speaking of my children, to kind of segue back to Andrew and your question, they're the whole reason that I'm standing, that I'm sitting here with you today. Mm. No one will ever understand the bond between a mother and their child, a sound mother and their child. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, and it begins right as a tiny little cell in childbirth. And that incredible, inexplicable mama bear instinct to survive for your babies and to protect them with just ferociousness. And I refused to fall for my kids. Mm -hmm. I refused, you know, like I wanted to show them when I was sad because I want them to grow up knowing that it's okay to show your emotion, both for my son and my daughter, who are very headstrong, driven, but loving, kind, tender. We can have it all. We can be it all. And it's so important to be it all so that we can heal and experience joy after that emotion is released because otherwise I think of it like plate tectonics just yeah. rubbing against each other and pulling against each other. And at some point, there's going to be a mega earthquake if you don't allow that emotion to release in a healthy way. And you don't want that mega earthquake because that's what happened to my husband mm -hmm. on that day. Mm -hmm. and, and so prevention is key. And so I was lucky because I had the resiliency of a wonderful upbringing, uh, incredible family. On all of my social media pages, you will see I have the best friends and family that anyone in the world could ask for. So I have been blessed in my life because they are my entire support system. And I would not have gone through this without my faith. My faith is at the center of everything. It makes me who I am. It allows me to be fearless in the face of danger and uncertainty. It allows me to persevere forward. It allows me to not give a shit what other people say or think about me because the only one that really matters is the big guy up there. And if I'm making him proud, then I'm doing a damn good job. And so it's just everything, really. It's at the core and the center of my being. And then comes my children. Then comes my parents, my friends, my family. And I don't think I'm strong because I'm nothing without them. And I would not be here today without them. As strong as my faith is, I really and truly believe that. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Because I, what I've heard... And I disagree that you're not strong because um, <laughs> you you were able to to keep searching, to keep that hope alive, to to keep propping your children up, to to maintain the focus. But I I just wonder if you have given yourself an opportunity to process that grief and and to take care of yourself because so much of the focus has been on on the outside on the other mm -hmm. on people you care about mm -hmm. what have you given to yourself to ensure that that you could safely... crumble yeah mm -hmm. exactly and um and it'd be great to hear perhaps for for others listening that might be able to utilize some of those 
some mm-hmm. of those lessons as well. Definitely. Thank you for asking because it's been a hell of a lot. So, like, I had a light. So we talk about something to look forward to. There was nobody that was going to stop me from the physical search. Nobody. Not for anything. Not for, yeah, not for anything. But I knew that on June 23rd, my brother was getting married. And I knew that my sister, like, I was in the wedding party. And so my sister-in-law had planned this spa day at Bear Mountain at the Westin. And... I knew that that would be my recharge day. That would be my relax. I went to the spa. I drove forward. I had some very trusted friends that I worked with at the Sundrop Center for Child Development take over the search. My brother had given them all the maps that he had been managing, uh, gave them all the directions. So people that showed up to search, they knew you know we weren't going to cover same areas and my friends knew where to send them. So I, I could rest in trusting that that was taken care of. I was also resting. I was sleeping every night. I found such comfort in sleeping with my children. And truthfully, they didn't want to sleep without me. And I couldn't sleep in mine in bed's bed. I just could not. And so just being able to cuddle them and I would fall asleep super early with them. Generally, after I posted for the evening and got the search ready for the next day, I would be out, lights out. And so that was a gift because otherwise your brain just stays swollen and deprived of oxygen and you cannot function under that. Well, and you've referred to your faith a few times and and we have talked about spirituality a few times on this podcast and Mm -hmm. I just wanted you to quickly comment on how your faith in something, in a higher power Mm -hmm. or whatever we want to call it, Mm -hmm. um, helped you get through this. I had a very regimented routine that just unfolded naturally really because again when you're broken and you're that desperate for direction and answers and guidance I don't care who you are there's no place I could be aside from on my knees mm-hmm. and I would step outside my door because again nature speaks to me the fresh air speaks to me and there's a ton of research on what it does for our mental health just in itself for sure so I would go right outside the door and I would just come undone I would just be, I was too tired to shower the night before from the search. So I'd literally fall asleep oftentimes with my clothes on with my children. And so the next morning I just woke up and I just felt filthy and gross and disheveled, you know, crying, pleading, begging, bargaining with God, please lead me in the search today. Be the footprints that I step in. Be open my eyes to where I need to go open my ears to what I need to hear and I would pray Mm. I I found myself saying the rosary again and I haven't said that since grade school really and like any means of prayer that I could dredge up I would I would pray and my friends were amazing they'd send me psalms readings of peace and then after I was done praying I would you know wash everything away in a hot shower so I would turn the music on and, you know, faith-filled music, incredible artists like Avalon and Carrie Job and others. And then Angel Armies would come on almost immediately after I was ready to get out of the shower. And it would just, it was like everything washed away and melted away and was gone. Mm-hmm. Any uncertainty or fear or doubt or sadness, gone. It was absolutely the most incredible experience and I do this to this day I Mm. did the same before I came to meet you actually nice but I also incorporated exercise but my exercise was in the search so having those rituals almost 
Yeah. Keep you keep you grounded. And yeah. then I got out of the shower and it's yeah. like, okay, I'm ready to face the day. Yeah, Today yeah. is anew and all that shit has gone down the drain and mm. yeah. That's and okay. I'm okay. And I'm mm. and I'm powerful and I'm strong only because of God residing inside me who's going to guide me throughout this day. And I know now that I was never meant to find Ben in the state that he was in. After we found Ben and after the RCMP came, I think it was five days after to tell us all together as a family that Ben had taken his own life, which like we were, so you'd want to talk about denial, shock, 100% at that point, 100%. And I just, I actually said to the RCMP right then and there over a fucking house, because Mm. if you take all the stuff, all the emotion, all the everything away at the end of the day, when you strip it all away, it's just a house. And so, yeah, at that point, that's grief, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you course through this crisis with this adrenaline and this survival, and you're an automatic. And, you know, but sleep is very prominent, etc. Well, now, now I'm having to fight against a depression, a severe depression, because I've lost my the love of my life. I've lost my husband. And he's never coming back home like I thought he would. That Like, I knew he would. Like, it wasn't even hope. It was like, I know he's coming home eventually when he's ready and he's going to snap back to it. And uh, the psychiatrist that I was seeing had called this a dissociative state. And there's stuff on records, like our chief justice of peace. Um, he went missing for 24 or 48 hours and barely has any recollection of what happened in that period of time. And there was a man who ended up in China mm-hmm. that had no recollection of how he got there. But again, it's that state of fight, flight, freeze that takes over. But for some, it takes over for quite some time. And the the, the memory, the the yeah, you just operate automatically on a subconscious level. So I I had to totally shift in my healing at that point and. I had to fight against depression every single day. So for three weeks, I literally flatlined. I had gotten back to playing soccer towards like a month before the end of the search. I'd previously injured my knee severely, and coincidentally, it got stronger throughout the search, just, I guess, from that muscular development. And I hadn't had an MRI about what happened, but I was able to play soccer again if I taped it up. And it was amazing to be back with my team on the pitch. And I was doing uh, martial arts as well self-defense martial arts and so that was quite regular as well and so I felt good I, I was eating healthy I was riding on the coat strings of hope and I actually broke my nose in soccer uh two days three days before the RCMP came to the door a girl went up for a header and got me right in the nose and I had four f- small fractures in my nice. nose but it ended up being a godsend I'll tell you why um so when they came to the door I'd actually stopped at Ice Cream Mountain after being at the Jubilee for four hours, getting um, a CT scan of my nose. And then they had scheduled me for uh, surgery at RGH um, four days later. I stopped at Ice Cream Mountain, got two scoops of my favorite ice cream, and blasted the music and was just feeling the best I had felt for in a long time. Just, again, feeling like, okay, I'm going to connect with the RCMP. They're going to find Ben. It's like he's coming home. I just felt it. And they literally showed up at my door at 9 p.m. 
and I had been communicating with one of like the head constable and you know he said he was kind of burning the midnight oil but he'd call me soon to report about what had happened in their um, investigation of the day and then my mom came downstairs and she said that uh, the constable and the staff sergeant were at the door and I just was like what what, what why mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense to me and I didn't understand at the time and I understand now like why God like why on that day I was so certain but I realized that I had to be that high to fall that hard hmm. I don't think I could have survived it any other way because I fell down hard my whole it's like I was drowning and uh it's been a struggle like grief is a real thing boy holy shit (laughs) and there's nothing like it and what's worse is the post-traumatic stress that comes after the crisis sort of automatic operation survival mode actually i don't i don't know if that's worse to be honest they're both a vicious toxic beast i seem to like that word today but yeah so for three weeks i couldn't do anything so when I talked to my friend's family around needing that space to just be tender to yourself, to care for yourself, I wasn't working out. I had zero energy. The only energy that I could muster was for my children in whatever they needed. Like Emily had a field trip the next day that I promised her I would go on and I looked like the Grim Reaper and I remember just putting sunglasses on and telling her teacher that something horrible had happened in our family and that I was still coming because I'd made a promise to her to be there. And we went to Providence Farms and I drove behind the bus and I bawled the entire time. And then I pulled myself together for the 45 minutes of the field trip, kissed her, got her pumpkin, left. And then I literally said to my folks, and to the staff sergeant, I need to go out on the paddleboard and be in the middle of the ocean and just let loose because I am dying. I never knew what it would feel like to emotionally suffer an emotional death. And I mean, I've been beat up in my life physically, like soccer cleats in the face, broken nose. I've been hit by a car and flew right over onto the roof and off the other side and walked away from it somehow over the mountain bike handlebars three times. Like... I've been shit kicked in my life physically and nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing like even childbirth, nothing compared to this. The emotional pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I literally would, but, um, three weeks after because of my young children. So my son was two at the time. My daughter was four, probably almost five. Uh, you know, for them, again, you have to do it. You have to find the strength. So they were an incredible means of survival for me. But we cannot do it alone. We are not put on this earth to go at it alone. I needed my mom on those days to force me, literally. But really, like, I, there's distinct few days where I literally, like, I'm a resilient person. I've been in the military. I consider myself decently strong. Um, not many things have, in fact, nothing's taken me down up until this point in my life. And I, there's never anything that's ever gotten to me where I can't exercise. Like that's my whole life. And it's yeah. more effective than any antidepressant. And we know this through the research. So it's one thing to know it and to be able to do it. So my mom 
I went upstairs and I was just sobbing. I'm like, Mom, I just can't sort myself out today. And so she said, Tanya, I'm going to go pick up your son from preschool and I want you to push play. So she gave me a hug. She's like, promise me you're going right now to push play. And I'm like, I promise. And literally, I wanted to capture that moment. So I took a picture of myself before with like the swollen eyes and how shitty I looked. And I took a picture after I got out of the shower, blew my hair dry, put on a bit of makeup. And it was, it's astronomical, astronomical, the difference. And literally within five minutes, I started to feel better. And then I wanted to keep going. And I started to feel a little bit better. And I wanted to keep going. And I don't think I finished the whole half an hour, but I did 25 minutes. And I originally thought I might just do five and that would be okay. But when we set our mind up for low expectation, it's amazing when we just kind of let it take over in a positive light, how it really leads to this positive domino effect. So, you know, again, it's, it's a long-winded thing, but to quickly summarize the rest of the stuff that I did to keep my head above water, I don't say get better because I'll never be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, you know, and life is not a linear course of we getting We talk about better. that all the time. Obstacle course never ends. Like, no, we it just, doesn't. We begin anew every day. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Yeah. And it, you know, I look at it kind of like a heart rate monitor, right? Like right, yeah. sometimes you've got big yeah. mountains and little valleys. And sometimes you've got little mountains sure. and little valleys. But it will never be flatlined until we're dead and we take our last breath. Just got to keep pushing play. You've got to keep pushing play and you've got to find that support to be able to do that because you can't do it on your own. And to think that you can is naive and ignorant because we're human totally. and we're not superhuman and we're not God. And so truthfully, um, even though I was doing all these great things and I was seeing uh, the forensic psychiatrist that I talked to you guys about around understanding how Ben could have done this, um, I still needed something more because I was still getting splitting headaches. Like I've never, I don't know if I've had a migraine, but this headache, it's like somebody took a crowbar and hit it across my head. It was that intense. And anytime there was any stress, like dealing with Ben's estate, uh, dealing with the banks, um, his, his work, our finances, the accountant, the house, anything because of post-traumatic stress, it just flares it all up. It exacerbates it. And so jaw tension, headaches that just were rippers I couldn't I had no motivation to cook and thank god people brought us meals because I had zero motivation to cook unless it involved Ben or the kids I wasn't doing it and I couldn't multitask my memory was shot I was losing words like I couldn't it was so weird and I just thought where the hell did I go? Like, will I ever get myself back? Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go out publicly. I refused to. So all my workouts were at home, just outside my front door in the privacy and solitude of, of being at home. I wouldn't go grocery shopping. Like I was, I'm the most extroverted person on the face of the planet. I swear to God. (laughs) And I was the most introverted person on the face of the planet. And so I, I came to know, I I have known about hyperbaric oxygen therapy, hyperbaric oxygen treatment in my practice. And truthfully, I wanted to try it myself because I I like to be a guinea pig for my clients because even though we have all the research around these certain modalities and gold standard practices out there, I like to experience for myself so that I can try and put myself in their shoes if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I screw up so much in life and I injure myself. I think I've probably had every injury known to man 
that it's not hard for me to be a guinea pig. So I had lined up a trial session before Ben went missing, and then I never got to do it because of everything that happened. So now I actually legitimately needed it. You breathe in this pure oxygen at this ideal pressure that helps the oxygen to be absorbed into the blood, which then transfers to the damaged tissues of the brain. And those damaged tissues are damaged because of, of lack of oxygen. That's what happens when the tissues are damaged. The other organs in the body, the other tissues, use that oxygen uh, for survival of, of the other tissues because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, this one's not working right now. Like we want to feed the other organs that are, that we want to, it's again a survival mechanism, right? Like we want to strengthen those for natural selection. <laughs> and that's unfortunate because the damaged area really needs it the most. Mm-hmm. And so this is an incredible way of just fueling that damaged area of the brain or any tissue in the body. I, I used it after my knee surgery too, and the recovery was astronomically quick and the pain was significantly lower. And yeah, it just floods those areas that are damaged with this pure oxygen. So mm. within one session, I felt an astronomical difference. I slept better. I had more energy. I the, the headaches weren't quite gone, but they were definitely less. And then after the third session, I'm not kidding you. Like I couldn't even cut up vegetables. Not that I couldn't physically, but I had no motivation to. And that night I stayed up till one in the morning and I made five different meals. Hmm. And so you're multitasking, you have divided attention, you have energy. You like, it's just like, I felt so alive and revived without any side effect from a medication. Hmm. And so naturally I get upset because I think, you know, if I'd only known about oxygen, uh, about the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, like I know now, God, would I have loved to have tried that for men? Mm-hmm. And and really and truly, that could have helped, brought so much success. Not that I feel like we don't need medication. Ben needed the right medication, and unfortunately there's so many out there, and we're just such a different chemical makeup that we don't know what that right one is. So it is trial and error. And unfortunately, we're victimized by being along for the ride while we decide whether it's the right one. Yeah. But when we're not, man, do you feel it? Yeah. So really powerful. So we've covered a lot of ground here. We have. I knew it was going to be a long one. <laughs> I suggested um, half an hour, by the way. This is hilarious. Yeah. Well, speaking of half hour, I brought up prevention half an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, I thought we could, um, like, we've talked about some preventative measures. We've talked yeah. about the exercise that that, for sure. that you mm-hmm. went through to, um, for your own coping, mm-hmm. that the, that image of, of uh, quiet on the on the board um, on the stand-up paddle board just finding some space and clarity and, and faith coming into the question and into the conversation as something that you really relied on and, and were strengthened by um, but if if people out there are who are listening right now um, if they're going through a mental health challenge or mm-hmm. if, or if they have a partner or a loved one who is and, mm-hmm. and maybe this is the way we can we can bring this conversation for for now at least to a close what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is um either in in a place where they're having a hard time with their mental health or are or have a loved one that is experiencing similar challenges thank you for asking that and it's hard to just find one but 
done a lot of analysis around this and I really truthfully believe that some way, somehow, we have to be self-aware. We have to know when we need help. And that's really tricky because all these things get in the way of that, especially pride. And we don't want to admit that we need help with anything. And I've said throughout the Charity Fitness Challenge and through social media and I think to you both when we did the trailer that... You know, it doesn't have to be help with your mental health, right? Like, I'm not saying everybody needs to go out there and get a counselor or find a crisis line and, you know, start to get that kind of support. Definitely entertain it. But really, it could be help that Ben and I needed through an experienced general contractor that was used to this kind of build that could weather the storm for us, that we could gain advice from a very, like, a person more knowledgeable than ourselves. And... You know, I just think the power of being self-aware and really tuning in, and we can't truthfully do that if we have no no time to like rest with our thoughts and actually be in a space where we can think about that, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, the best space to think and be self-aware is on a drive. Uh, and, And I'll, I'm an occupational therapist and I have no shame in giving my kids a special show because we don't often do screen time in our family. And having them put their headphones on and just zoning out into their show so that I can listen to my TED Talk or my music and then just allow my own mind to zone out and to be self-aware and to process my thoughts. And also, you know, that time I always try and set my alarm before the kids get up so I can have that time to myself to either go out on the paddleboard, to pray, and to really just ground myself and to be aware of like, where am I at right now? And the problem is that we get flooded with so much busyness and we do it ourselves. Like this should not be the norm. I mean, because of my faith, I'll speak on God. That was not his intention to put us on this earth and flood us and to have us be the yes person for everybody and take on everything and to only get paid for three hours of work (laughs) when we're putting in 12, that kind of thing. It took me having children to realize that now my boundaries are fierce and I refuse to take on so much that now I'm starting to lose my exercise regime, my healthy eating, and that time to rest in that space where I can actually process where I'm at and know that, oh, this is a really hard month. I need a little recharge. Mm -hmm. I actually need to talk to the therapist again. And just, again, have a little check-in, have a little recharge. Um, You know, the hospice has been amazing too, traumatic grief group. Check in with them again. So to have that arsenal of tools that help you specifically and to know when to reach back into that toolbox is so important. I was going to say that there are so many of these tools have worked for you and that's phenomenal. But but so many of these seemingly didn't work for Ben, right? So Mm -hmm. what, what tools specifically could have helped the bends out there where maybe all these other things they just it did they just don't work for them mm-hmm. be- because of personality because of mm-hmm. a variety of things so ben in particular what do you think looking back could have perhaps helped him kind of have a breakthrough and get back to the the man on the mountain that you began this episode with mm-hmm. and that's a million dollar question well, because right. i'd have to be god to know that right but, right but really through all my digging and through hindsight there are two or three very distinctive parts to this. 
So there's the prevention piece where we all want to be at. I want the whole world to be here. Having the knowledge, knowledge is power. And again, there was no plan in Ben taking his life. But when we start to see this cyclical sleeplessness, anxiety, like these red flags, even if there's hope, even if there's light at the end of the tunnel, just don't give up and always reach out for help. And if you don't feel like you have anyone in your life who you can trust, who you have some form of a connection with, then you know what? There are incredible resources out there. Don't be afraid to call 911 and and ask for a non-emergency line. There are mental health nurses that law enforcement that the 911 operators can connect you with. And everybody knows that number. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to go digging for a crisis line. You don't need, you know, you don't get a volunteer on the other end who's not trained in counseling. Um, maybe they have some incredible resources. But a lot of people, including my husband, would have feared calling a crisis line for lack of knowledge of who they're going to get on the other end. Mm-hmm. And then just sort of being like, listen to and, um, you yeah. know, oh, how do you feel about that? Well, <laughs> Ben's mm-hmm. already got that, right? So 911, don't be afraid to use it. That could have saved Ben's life. In fact, I am certain that that would have saved Ben's life. And then we could have hopefully got him on the right medication or tried the hyperbaric oxygen. But that's kind of hindsight, right? Yeah, we don't, we sure. don't know. It could have happened at a different day. Yeah. So I hope that answers the question yeah, because there's so many things out there that we can do. It's, that's what I took from that too, that isolation is, is so deadly. Yeah. It you is. know, they want to pull away and don't want to be helped mm-hmm. and stay away from me and, and just almost collapse into themselves. And that's so crucial that you almost, you almost wonder you almost have to be rude or forceful to like get them the help. Like, mm-hmm. I just wonder because you don't want to, like, I, I yeah, I, I don't know what, what the right thing to do there is. Is do you, do you force the help? Do you, I, I think you know. what I'm drawing from that, and I agree, is that we we so very much need connection, and yeah. uh, when we get disconnected, thank you, um, Andrew. Especially in this time, yeah. the government needs to hear this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest dangers in our society. So we can't let our loved ones disconnect, and and if we feel like we're losing that sense of connection, we need to swallow that pride uh, and reach out. And because there will be people, there will be solutions. We just have to have to look for them so first from someone who's more knowledgeable than ourselves totally and then also to the listeners knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel not just believing it but knowing and just like i said ben's friends all have babies now our house is finally sold thanks to my godsend friend christine ryan you know i no longer have to face this nightmare every day and i pray every day for the people that now own the house that it becomes their dream and that they don't have near mm. the hiccups that we did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, knowing that there's a light at the end of the tunnel is so huge Continue because that up. tunnel can look really fierce and dark when you're in it. And, you know, don't be afraid to use that 911. Please, dear mm-hmm. God, don't be afraid to use 911. Well, that sounds like a, a good place to, to bring this conversation to a close. So just want to say thank you on behalf of Jan, John and I. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever your name is. We, we've, been, we've been talking so long, we've already forgot each other's names. Yeah. You're female. No problem, Andy. Alter ego. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, um, it's good to good to finish good to with a laugh. Yeah. Our laughter therapy note. Yeah. So so thanks so much for all you've given uh, in this conversation. Absolutely. And for, for everyone who's yeah. listening as well. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. And that's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us at all the usual places, obstaclecoursepodcast.com. We're very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast. And speaking of Facebook, we have a great new growing community called the Obstacle Course Community that you can join, dialogue with Andrew and I and your fellow listeners about the previous week's episode and any obstacles you're dealing with. And we do appreciate reviews, whether it's on iTunes, Google, Facebook, whatever. It helps people find the podcast. And it has nothing to do with our fragile egos. Well... Uh, you know, we just like to hear back from great people just like yourself. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep pushing through those obstacles.